0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: If you knew time as well as I do, said the hatter, you wouldn't talk about wasting it.
2: I thought, oh, it was being chased. (laughs) But the bears saw me and turned on a dime to check me out because I was sitting in this campsite. And they came up on either side of my tent. They like flanked me close enough that I could have touched them if I wasn't zipped in. So... They stood and looked me in the eyes and they flared their nostrils, and I could like see the air moving in as they were like breathing in my scent. And the only thing I could think was one, I can do absolutely nothing about the situation because I'm in a backpacking tent. <laughs> and two, I spilled almond butter on my pants like four days ago.
1: <laughs> I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Meerpod. Pod. Oh, Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute. Help us out. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. Okay, we've got another fantastic guest this week. As our regular listeners know, I've got a regular segment on the podcast where I ask my guests for an adventure media recommendation. And this week's guest has been mentioned multiple times this season during that segment. I want to thank friend of the podcast, previous guest, and author of The Unlikely Thruhiker, Derek Lugo, a.k.a. Mr. Fabulous, for suggesting that I reach out to her and have her on the podcast. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, author of the powerful book, Alone in Wonderland, Christine Reed. How's it going, Christine?
2: Best day ever. How are you?
1: Best day ever. Wow. Because you're on the podcast or does something spectacular happen today?
2: I just think that if you're not going to take every day like it's the best day ever, then, you know, you're missing out.
1: Okay, that sets the bar kind of high though. I mean, what, what do you do for tomorrow?
2: Have the new best day ever.
1: <laughs> Love it. Love it. Now, here on the podcast, we only go by trail names if you have one. So it doesn't say Doc on my paycheck or on my driver's license. That's, that's the trail name. Uh, have you picked up a trail name along the way? I have. It's Lady Unicorn. Lady Unicorn. First of all, I want to say that's a lot of syllables. That's, that's five syllables. And things can get kind of dicey out on the trail. I mean, if there's an emergency, and someone is trying to call your attention to a, a falling limb, an avalanche, something, they've got to get five syllables out to get to get your attention. Do they ever shorten it, or is, is it just always Lady Unicorn?
2: Um, you know, in a few trail journal love letters, there was an LU abbreviation, which I can't say I was too fond of, but I it got the point across.
1: <laughs> okay, LU is that pronounced Lou?
2: I guess I don't know. It was okay.
1: written
2: down. <laughs> <laughs> if you said Lou, I probably wouldn't answer to that.
1: <laughs> okay, then we will stick with Lady Unicorn for the for the duration of the podcast, and there probably won't be any emergencies tonight, so we can we can make that work. I hope not. Okay, all right. Hey, you have to tell us the story behind the trail name. That's always uh, an entertaining part of the of the podcast.
2: Yeah, um, you know, I hiked a big section of the Appalachian Trail in two thousand fifteen. And I was being a little antisocial at the beginning and I hadn't really fallen in with a group and, and, but people around me started to notice that I was the only person without a trail name after about, I don't know, three weeks on the trail, which doesn't feel like an absurdly long time to me for not getting a trail name, but, um, I was the only one left. So a couple of people asked me a, a series of questions about things I like and things I do and, um, came to, I like unicorns. Um, which became a whole conversation about unicorns. And somebody suggested the name Lady Amalthea, which is a reference to an old cartoon called The Last Unicorn. Um, And so I was Lady Amalthea for a few days. So if you want to talk about that's a mouthful, mouthful. yeah. (laughs) Um, But nobody knew what that was from or what it meant. Like there was too many people who were very confused by that. So um, there was a second conversation that was had and someone suggested I go by Unicorn Girl. And I said, no, Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> and so Lady Unicorn was born out of that combination of things.
1: Okay. So there was some give and take on that whole thing. You, you kind of went back and forth a little bit before settling on Lady Unicorn.
2: Yeah, I would say it was a negotiation.
1: Yeah, I think that's healthy. I don't, I don't think that you are bound to take whatever anybody just thrusts upon you like that.
2: No, and I was, I'm very like before the trail, I was very nervous about the whole nicknaming culture because I've always been a little opposed to nicknames in my normal life. So I guess I'm glad with what I ended up with and it could have been a lot worse.
1: (laughs) Yes, we've covered uh, quite a few interesting trail names on the podcast. So Lady Unicorn, we can, we can make that work. Absolutely. All right. Hey, have you listened to the podcast at all?
2: Um, I think I listened to an episode a couple of weeks ago when we first started talking.
1: Okay. I only ask because I want to make sure that you are aware of a segment towards the end of the episode called the pro tip insight of the week. And that's why I will turn to you and I will say, lady unicorn, what bit of trail wisdom can you share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better? So don't be surprised when we get there.
2: Okay. I'll be thinking about it.
1: Okay. And I also want to share with our listeners that lady unicorn is particularly brave because when I offered to show her the outline for the episode, she said, no, that's okay. You know, I can just be surprised. And uh, so she has no idea of the things we're going to talk about tonight. So this is, this is going to be very entertaining.
2: I feel like if I have time to prepare, that gives me time to be like anxious, right? And if I don't worry about it, then I don't have to worry about it.
1: That's right. Yeah, don't be anxious. I'm not going to ask you any questions uh, about things that you don't know about. I mean, everything I'm going to ask you, you're an expert again, so no worries.
2: Perfect. I don't know if I call myself an expert. We'll see. <laughs>
1: You know, I've discovered if you if you say it with confidence and a confident nod, then you know you can pass as an expert in almost anything. <laughs> <laughs> you can fake pro it for, for a little bit. Tips. Yeah, you can fake it for a little bit. Just uh, you know, here we go. Okay. Hey, one of the things I like to do is talk about current events. If I see anything in the news in the day or two before the the ep- the episode interview, uh, I'll bring it up and kind of get uh, your take on on something. And I did. I've seen a couple of articles. Recently, I think yesterday and today, different articles about different people, but kind of the same theme. And it's about uh, retirees hitting the long trails. I saw an article about three women who had retired and were uh, bent on becoming triple crowners. And they've done, I think, the AT and the CDT. And I think they're going to hike the PCT this year to become triple crowners. And then I saw another article today, this afternoon, about a married couple who put in, you know, 30 years. In their respective careers, and decided that they were going to just uh, live a life of adventure and, and take on these long trails. And I think I saw that they set some kind of, you know, like five FKTs on some particular uh, trails out there. So, I mean, wow. what, what, what's your take on that? On the long trails out there, is it a, is it a mix of uh, folks that you're going to run into of different ages?
2: Uh, I would say it's like post college and post career. Like those are the two age groups. Um, Definitely on the AT, that's what I felt like. And then on just this past fall, my friend and I hiked the Colorado trail and it, there was a whole day where every person we saw was like a 55 year old man wearing the exact same outfit. It was like being in the twilight zone. Like every person <laughs> was just the same person over and over again. And we were making jokes about it. Um, but yeah, I feel like as a 30 year old out on the trail, I'm almost kind of a, an anomaly between the two age groups.
1: Like a unicorn.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, it seems to be one one end of the spectrum or the other. Not a lot of 30 40 uh, 45 year olds out there just because it's a it's a huge time commitment. People a lot of people have uh, their careers going and it's tough to tough to get away.
2: Totally. Yeah, and my first long trail experience was right after college and I think so many of us are experiencing a lot of this kind of like not knowing what to do next and having this sort of freedom before you really start to get into something and and looking for meaning in life. And there's a lot of reasons that I think it appeals so much to that age group. And then I think that older age group post-retirement, like, I don't know, I feel like if I worked for 30 years and then suddenly had nothing to do all day, hiking would be a great way to pass the day
1: not too shabby. I I told Mrs. Doc that, you know, just a few more years and we can, we can hit the PCT. That's going to be you. And she proceeded to give me a a new trail name that I can't mention here on the podcast. So she wasn't too excited about that.
2: Is she not a hiker?
1: She's not a hiker. No. Well,
2: she can ship you food boxes. She can can get rid of me
1: for a number of months and ship me food boxes.
2: (laughs) So you say, have fun. I'll send you a care package.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Mrs. Doc, her idea of roughing it is slow room service. Not not even no room service, slow room service. (laughs) Just
2: having to wait a while. (laughs)
1: That's right. That's right. So, all right. Hey, another feature we've been doing this season is the must bring gear review sponsored by the ultralight backpacking gear company, Outdoor Vitals. And here's how it works, Lady Unicorn. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear from multi-day hike. What is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Lady Unicorn, what is your must bring piece of gear?
2: I think I would say the um, Merino bag liner Mm. from Big Agnes changed my life.
1: Okay. In what way? Tell us. (laughs)
2: Um, I just sleep really cold and I really suffer when I'm cold and on the Appalachian trail and the Wonderland trail, I was quite miserable. And this past year I got the Merino bag liner, which weighs one pound and it rolls up pretty small and it made such a difference in warmth and comfort. And now that swishy sleeping bag material is not touching my skin, which I also like. Um, and I would highly recommend getting a bag liner.
1: Do you have a texture issue? You don't like do. things of a certain texture touching you?
2: <laughs> I do. And I and it's like partly a cleanliness thing too, is like, I don't want my dirty body touching my sleeping bag for 40 to 180 days in a row, you know, um, especially for what it costs for a nice sleeping bag. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that bag liner is washable and soft and comfy.
1: Okay. And what, what was the temperature rating of your bag?
2: Uh, my new one is... Uh, I think a 15 degree down quilt.
1: Okay. And then, Oh, okay. Quilt. And with your, with your Merino bag uh, liner, I mean, what is, what is the, how much impact does that have on your, on your temperature?
2: I think it's supposed to be 10 to 12 degrees. Okay. Yeah. All right. I can definitely tell a difference.
1: Okay. And what was your, what was your base weight on the AT?
2: Oh gosh, 30 pounds. 30 pounds. <laughs> All nothing, right. Something crazy. I don't know for sure. But I know when I was packed with water and food, it was like 45.
1: We've talked to a few backpackers who were proud of the fact that they were ultra heavy and not ultra ultra light. I mean, they believed in, in comfort and being prepared and bring everything they thought they might need.
2: I don't know if I'd go that far, but I definitely was on a budget and you can't get the super schmancy lightweight stuff when you're trying to save a dollar.
1: That's right. There's a direct correlation between cost and weight. The lighter it is, the more you get to fork out.
2: Yep. And at that time it was my first backpacking trip. And so I didn't know I didn't really know what was available. And I did some research, but there's so much information out there and like so many different products. And the cottage companies were Mm kind of still a little less well known than they are now Mm -hmm. um, to do like the ultra light kind of make at home type of stuff.
1: Right. You know what boggles my mind, Lady Unicorn? What's that? How did people do this forty years ago? Before oh my gosh, all right? of the online resources and all of the cottage industries making these this this great gear, I mean, to plan a twenty two hundred to a you know a three a three thousand mile long trail hike in the U.S. I mean that it just it it really boggles my mind how they would prep for that and how they'd actually carry it out. I mean it, it's it seems like the Stone Ages.
2: Totally, they didn't even have a wall's AT guide back then. <laughs> I couldn't imagine. You know, everybody has Gut Hook or what are they calling it now? Um,
1: yeah, they changed their name, didn't they?
2: Far Out, I think. Uh huh. So yeah, everybody has that now, which is great, and it's it's an awesome resource to have. But even you know, in 2015, when I did my section of the AT, there were a couple people who had that, but it was like brand new, mm-hmm. um, and we were all carrying the the little AT guidebooks, which. Are as comprehensive as you could want something to be. It had everything in it. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I've thought, like, man, if you didn't have that, if you just had like maps, that would be hard.
1: Right. And if you, I mean, right now we can go down the rabbit hole of YouTube videos, of online resources, of planning and logistics, everything we wanted to know about the Appalachian Trail, right? We could, we could find it out and yeah. plan accordingly. But back then, I mean, what resources were available? I mean, you you have this general notion of the AT, and you'd have to really kind of scramble to, to cobble together some some you know intel on, on what is up ahead of you, and then go go down and do it. I mean, it's crazy.
2: Yeah, I guess the ATC has been around for a long time, so maybe you would like call them and ask for like what maps and resources do you have? But I even like to joke that when I started like 2013, when I discovered the AT, it was all on white plays dot net is that what it was it mm-hmm. was like a poster board where everybody was just on there chatting we didn't have you know i wasn't on youtube watching videos or or doing that kind of stuff it was a lot simpler even just what is that eight years ago
1: the good old days eight years the ago good old days. <laughs> all right hey this next section this next segment is uh something i call the hiking pole and it's p-o-l-l Okay. I, like to, I like to point out how creative I am with that little title. There, it's not P O L E like a hiking pole, like a trekking pole. It's yeah. like a survey. I'm going to ask you seven questions. Okay. And this, these seven questions are going to help me come up with a score for where you fall on the crazy scale. <laughs> so i <it, laughs> so, tell you
2: seven. <laughs>
1: yeah, it goes from one. No, it's one to a hundred. One to a hundred. Okay. One is one is absolutely crazy, and and one hundred is is totally sane. So. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. First, first one's easy. Trekking poles. Yes or no? Yes. Why?
2: I want to be able to hike when I'm 80.
1: Okay, good. Fair point. Fair point. Uh, boots or trail runners? Trail runners. Always trail runners or did you start out with boots?
2: I started with boots. My feet did not like them.
1: That seems to be a common theme.
2: Yeah. I got um, Achilles tendonitis and um, plantar fasciitis on the AT. Mm. Yeah.
1: That's no not good. Thing. The feet aren't happy. Hiker's not happy. No, not a fun trip. All right. Tent, tarp, hammock or cowboy camping tent tent. Why?
2: I like to be enclosed. Um, something about zipping myself inside makes me feel safe.
1: (laughs) That's an illusion, you know,
2: it is, but I'm not going to wake up with a mouse in my mouth, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is that another phobia? You have, you have texture issues and <laughs> a fear of a mouse in your mouth.
2: Yes, I, like, very much on the AT, I did not sleep in shelters because I was like, a mouse is going to crawl in my mouth.
1: Yeah, those shelters, are they they infested with, with mice? That's what I've heard.
2: Some of them are pretty bad, yeah. Yeah,
1: yikes, okay. <laughs> Sleeping bag, I think you already gave this one away. Sleeping bag or quilt?
2: Honestly, I switched to a quilt because it was all the rage, but I, eh, I'm not that psyched on it. Like if it hadn't cost me a lot of money, I would probably switch. back.
1: <laughs> what, what brand quilt?
2: Um, it's a catabatic. Okay. Yeah. They're made in Colorado.
1: Mm-hmm. Are you a side sleeper or back sleeper side side? Yeah. That, that kind of lends itself to quilts. I think I'm a side sleeper as well. And I just can't stretch out in a sleeping bag. That's why I went with the quilt
2: yeah i think i think i do like to be like zipped in though you know i feel like because i sleep cold that that quilt it just flaps a lot and the air gets in
1: that's the, that's the second zipped in reference you've made so that's a it's that's like a new, that's a new record that's a new record on the podcast congratulations
2: <laughs> maybe we'll see if i can bring it back later <laughs>
1: Be a theme, could be the title of the episode, Zipped In, Zipped in. <laughs> with Christine Reed.
2: Uh, it's very catchy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that could be the title of a new podcast, you know, a new podcast
2: or my all- next book together.
1: Yes, yes. I just need to thank you in the, in the end notes. That's all. That's all I asked for. For sure. Okay. All right. This question, very important for the crazy scale stove, cold soak, or stoveless? Stove. Okay. All right. You're not too crazy then. Uh-huh. No. Yeah. Have you ever tried cold soaking?
2: No, it just seems too yucky. I just don't like at the end of a long, hard day. I want like real food. Like I want to feel like I'm eating a meal and not cold paste.
1: Yeah. That's a good description. <laughs> cold paste. I, you know, I've had, I've had several people on the podcast who swear, swear by cold soaking. It's the only way to do it. The only way to go. You know, yeah. no, I mean, you, you walk into camp, you've done your prep work half hour before you walk into camp, you open up the, uh, the jar and, there you go with your cold paste. And I, <laughs> you know, I even got some recipes from, from, uh, you know, uh, a, a service that, you know, the she came on and, and gave me a free subscription to her, her recipes and resources. And man, I, I really tried. I gave it a shot. I gave it three TGF. full days last summer. And by the day four, I was, I was borrowing a chopper stove. I couldn't, couldn't do it. Couldn't yeah. do it.
2: I will say I have a quite heavy stove as far as backpacking stoves go. And I am eating my food while other people are still like watching water, not boil. So that I would say is like a luxury thing that I, I will not go without the stove that I have because I like to eat fast.
1: So like a kitchen range that you see in the car car camping where it's the old Coleman with the big green, right? right. (laughs) Food tastes better on that.
2: It's the MSR reactor, which I think is like a four season mountaineering stove. And it was one of those like accidental. I didn't realize that this was not a standard backpacking stove when I purchased it. But then on the AT, I was like looking around at everybody else. And I was like, wait a second. Why is my stove so big?
1: No wonder your bag was 45 pounds.
2: I still carry that though. That is not getting cut.
1: That should have been your must bring gear review right there. That that, that should have been. the Uh, item.
2: Maybe. Yeah.
1: The MSR reactor. Weighing yeah, in it at seven and, and a half po- seven and a half pounds 575
2: <laughs> Not quite, but you know, it's like <laughs> yay big.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, is life better above or below the tree line?
2: Ooh. Unpopular opinion um, below.
1: <laughs> mm. All right. Five point deduction there. Okay. <laughs> I and- like to
2: to be among the trees, it's cozy.
1: It, it kind of goes with your zipped in theme. You don't like to be exposed.
2: Yeah, I don't like to be exposed. <laughs>
1: yeah, okay. I mean,
2: I love a good, like, you know, high elevation view, and then I want to go back to the trees for bedtime.
1: You start getting the shakes up there.
2: It's windy, cold,
1: storms. nervous, nervous. Yeah. yeah, okay. All right, last question before we calculate the total here. Uh, long trails in America, Appalachian, CDT. PCT, they all run north to south. Should they be hiked northbound, southbound, or flip-flop? It
2: depends on the trail.
1: Okay. I've heard Explain. the CDT
2: is really good for southbound. Um, but I think, you know, people make those decisions based on their, like, logistical needs and, like, what time they can get out and stuff. Um, we hiked the Colorado Trail quote backwards because everybody goes northbound i'm sorry everybody goes southbound on the colorado trail and we went northbound um and then we did say no bows for life so i guess northbound is the answer <laughs> wow we
1: covered a lot of ground right there
2: i, I got there eventually
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right hey let me uh, let me calculate here we're going to divide by two multiply by three and put that over pi and we come out with a score of 74 Seventy-four. There's an automatic twenty-point deduction because you are a long trail hiker. That's you, fair. That, you lose twenty automatically. That's just that's just crazy. So, all right, congratulations.
2: All right, I'll have to listen to Derek's episode and see see
1: where he, where he scores. Off. That's <laughs> right. Now you have to remember that Derek Derek uh, hiked the AT without having ever put his fully packed pack on his back until he got to Springer Mountain. Same. Wow. <laughs>
2: I mean, I guess I picked it up to put it on the bus to go to Atlanta,
1: (laughs) but it wasn't on your back at that point.
2: Mm, No,
1: (laughs) no. Now, how do you know, Derek?
2: Um, We have just connected through writerly circles. Like when I published Alone in Wonderland, I reached out to other authors who were in the the outdoor space and like asked to do a book trade and, and talked about marketing and book things and being a writer. And he was super receptive to that and had a great conversation with me.
1: Nice. Nice.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. Hey, we're going to talk all about your trips. We're going to talk all about the book, but before we get there, let's, let's, let's not get too far down the trail yet. Let's back up a little bit. I want to hear about your background, where you grew up, uh, if you were involved in any kind of sports and, and hobbies, uh, grown up and, and how did you get involved in the through hiking cult? Cause we all know it's a cult and I don't say that negatively. You know, it, <laughs> if, if some group, if some organization convinces you to live for months on end in the dirt, uh, it's a cult and you know, it just is what it is.
2: Seems so, fair.
1: yeah. So, so take us through, where, where, where'd you grow up?
2: Um. So my dad was in the military. So I grew up in Florida and California and Florida and California. And then I went to college in Arkansas. Um. So not really anywhere in specific, but I would say I spent the most time in, in California, in the Bay area um, okay. through high school and stuff.
1: Did you play any sports in, in high school?
2: I was a cheerleader in high school. So I guess that depends on whether you consider cheerleading a sport. Um, Mm, So I was, I was,
1: (laughs) I was a high school principal. And so I I appreciate the work and energy that goes into cheerleading. They do, they do a lot. And so were you a, were you a flyer? Were you a base?
2: A little of both. Um, I was quite small and then I was very tall and that happened quickly. So I went from sort of one to the other.
1: (laughs) Started out as a flyer and became a base.
2: Um, yes, but I didn't also realize how big I was. And so I still wanted to be a flyer and they let me do that, even though it was pretty goofy for a while.
1: Okay. <laughs> and have you been watching the was it Netflix series cheer?
2: Yes. I are, just are, you, are you hooked the last on that? <laughs> um, yes, it's very much, you know, I don't fondly remember my cheerleading days very often, but watching something like that is like a fun, fun callback for me for sure.
1: Yeah. The women in my life, they, they like to watch that series. And, you know, I just, in passing, I can't, I can't turn away. It's like watching a, a train wreck.
2: So. Oh, and the, I mean, those kids are are amazing. Athletes. Oh,
1: yes, absolutely. I was absolutely. never that good. What the drama,
2: it's very dramatic The
1: drama. Oh, my. They're, they're
2: just 19 years old. They can't help it. Like, that's it's, right. Yeah. It's very much the age.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. And how did you get involved in through hiking? Did you did you can't? Did your family do car camping? Did they do backpacking with you? I mean, how did this first come to your attention?
2: Yeah, not really at all. Um, mm. I I lovingly refer to my family as indoorsy people, um, and I grew up reading books and very dedicated to my education. And like we were a very studious and quiet family. Um, and sometimes my parents would send us outside when we were being annoying and they would punish us by making us go outside. (laughs) So that was kind of my relationship with the outdoors, um, as a child. And then when I got through college, you know, a few times in college, people I knew would say, let's go hiking. And we would go hike this little tiny mountain in Little Rock, Arkansas called Pinnacle Mountain. And that little 0.8 mile hike would kick my butt every time, (laughs) Um, And I kind of hated it. And then I was graduating from college and I was working at a desk job and I stumbled upon a blog about the Appalachian Trail um, while I was at work one day. And I just saw the almost like the cult, right? Like it was this like an energy and a community that felt really magical to me. um, The way that people talked about the trail and how the trail had changed their life and transformed them and made them see the world in a new way. You know, it was just very whimsical this idea that you could go hike for six months and become a totally different person and I was definitely at a point in my life where I was looking to become a new person and maybe was looking for a cult to join um and I guess I'd say I picked a good one so (laughs) I lucked out there and didn't get into any other dangerous cults
1: no UFO death cult yeah right Good choice. Good, good pick. Good pick. And I like the fact that you explained a little bit there about when you first became aware of the AT. That's another one of my favorite questions to ask is when somebody first became aware there's actually a trail that goes 2200 miles and you can go all the way from Georgia to Maine or on the other trails, you can go all the way from Mexico to Canada. And yeah. do you remember that, that exact moment of, of a, kind of an awakening of like, oh my gosh, this, this is a, a real thing. This exists and people do this.
2: Yeah. I had no idea. And I immediately went into my mom's office and was like, I'm going to hike the Appalachian trail. And she said, what is that? And I said, it's 2000 miles. And it goes from Georgia to Maine and you just get on and you walk for six months. Isn't that great? And she was like, uh, no, that sounds terrible. Why would you want to do that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because she was indoorsy.
2: Yes. Yes. But explaining it to her was very much like it had been in me for my entire life. Like telling her about it was like, like, this is who I am. Like, don't you see? after I had just read about it five minutes before.
1: <laughs> so when you read about it five minutes before, it, it helped you to unzip and just let it out. It was always mm-hmm. inside of you. And this just yes. helped help to release it. <laughs> Got it. Totally. Okay. And did you say, I thought, I thought I heard a sibling, brother, sister.
2: I have a brother, yeah. brother, older or younger, older,
1: older. And is he but also, younger. Oh, he's older, but he's, he's younger. Are you saying you're the more mature one?
2: <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> He is not outdoorsy. He's in the military also. Okay,
1: that's what I was going to ask. Is he um, is he similarly outdoorsy like you?
2: Not at all. Um he plays a lot of video games and I'm pretty sure in the military they make you run, but it would surprise me to see him doing so.
1: <laughs> Which branch of the military? Coast Guard. Coast Guard. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right.
2: That's what my dad was too.
1: Oh, okay. So he's he's legacy.
2: Yeah, three three generations. My dad's dad also. Okay. Yeah.
1: All right. And does your, does your brother have any, have any kids? No, not yet. Cause his son would have to go into the, into the coast guard. It
2: would pretty much be required. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. Hey, what do you do currently to pay the bills? Are you a full-time author?
2: I am. I wouldn't say it pays my bills, but, <laughs> but I'm really trying. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what what has been the feedback on the book? I mean, everything that I have heard, I, I, I read the book and I'll get into my opinion, but everything I've heard from, listeners when i get when we get to the adventure media recommendation you know we've had several guests this year uh talk about alone on wonderland and what an impact it has made on them so uh, congratulations on that what has been the the popular feedback for you
2: um i've had a lot of people reach out and say thank you for writing it which has been like the most fulfilling thing i think a writer can ever hear um but yeah, it's just a lot of people saying they really related to the story and related to um, the self-doubt that I reveal in the story and those kind of nagging thoughts and um, questioning about who you are and what you're trying to accomplish with your life. Mm-hmm. And and definitely like the main themes of the book were were about a battle between independence and, and freedom yeah. and loneliness. And I think as seekers, which I firmly believe that anybody who is hiking a long trail is a seeker of some kind. Um, I think that we, we all see that in each other. And so I think that that battle between independence and loneliness is something that is super commonly experienced in the long trail community. Um, Okay. Don't,
1: don't give too much away. Cause (laughs) 'cause we're we're going in depth on this a little bit later. All right. But, but uh, people have reached out and have been very thankful and appreciative for, for your work. Were you an English major in college? No. What was your major?
2: Business management.
1: Business management, and you put out a book like this. I mean, it it's impressive. I I, I really enjoyed um, the way it was structured and the way it was written. I and mean, you did it did a fantastic job. Where did you pick up the the writing skills?
2: Um, elementary school. Uh- <laughs> middle school high school Um, I mean I did you know I wrote essays and things in in school like everybody else did but I would say probably the biggest thing is I am a voracious reader um, and that I can thank my parents for Uh, (laughs) but you know even to, to now like I read a good probably 50 books most years without thinking about it because it's just what I do in my free time and I think as writers that's the the best way to learn is just to see what other people are doing, what works, what makes you feel something, what connects on a personal level when you're reading.
1: Nice. I love to talk to another voracious reader. What is, who's your favorite author or what is your favorite genre?
2: Um, I mean, in the past year, I've read pretty much nothing but outdoor adventure books. <laughs> um, I am, I'm recently getting into romance novels, which people might scoff at, I think. Um, but, I'm finding a lot of joy in the kind of predictability of that story. Like the tropes are a big part of romance and I think it's a fun genre that's being expanded and explored in a lot of new ways right now. So mm-hmm. if you're into if you're into like book discussion of books and like what's happening in the publishing world, I think romance is a place that things are really moving and shaking right now.
1: Okay. Finish the sentence for me. The best book I have ever read was <laughs>
2: Oh, my classics, The Red Tent.
1: The Red Tent.
2: I just reread it. And so it's very fresh, but I read it when I was younger and, and remembered really loving it. And so I got a copy and read it again and I would highly recommend. Who's the author? Anita. Oh, it's not here. Um, Diamante, I think is her last name.
1: Okay. And a quick one minute summary or less.
2: Oh, it's like biblical times and a story of generations of women giving birth and becoming women and just very like lady heavy kind of mother daughter relations and things.
1: Okay. If you're looking for lady heavy, (laughs) biblical (laughs) type literature, the red tent. Very good. (laughs) All right.
2: Probably not the recommendation. (laughs) of your listeners
1: It's probably not going to, that's probably not the one you're going to recommend for our adventure media recommendation. No, that's okay though.
2: There is a lot of walking across the desert. in it,
1: though. <laughs> well, it's kind of like through hiking then. Yes. <laughs> walking totally. in dirt and yeah. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Okay. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some uh, tales of adventure out there on the AT and the Wonderland trail and talk about your book alone in Wonderland. So stick around. We'll be right back. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. The John Freakin' Meerpod is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, the ultralight backpacking gear company whose mission is to improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of mankind by facilitating impactful outdoor experiences. Outdoor Vitals creates innovative technical products with confidence-inspiring education that empower outdoor ultralight adventurers. Their focus on performance enables you to live ultralight with gear you can actually be confident with. Whether you're looking for an ultralight sleep system, shelter, or pack, or if you're looking for top quality apparel for the trail, You can find it at Outdoor Vitals. Do yourself a favor. Live ultra light. Want to make a podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Christine Reed, a.k.a. Lady Unicorn, uh, author of Alone in Wonderland. And we've heard about her, her past and growing up, and we did a little bit of gear talk there. But let, let's talk about some of your hiking experiences. I know you've already talked about the 2015 AT hike and you, you, uh, didn't do the full AT. You came off the trail and I really want to set the context for that because that's, that's, uh, it, it, it's included in your book. You, you talk about that a little bit and, uh, the context is really your, your home life and your mom's illness. You want mm-hmm. to share a little bit of that?
2: Sure. Um, I decided I was going to hike the AT when I was 23 And I gave myself a year, a little more than a year to get ready to like save money and get gear and figure out what I was doing. Um, And during that time, my mom was battling breast cancer. Um, I think statistically speaking, it's pretty rare for people to die from breast cancer. So we were all kind of just like, you know, she's going through treatment. She's going to the doctor all the time, dealing with that, losing her hair, all the things that come with that. Um, But during that time, I still very much like saw hiking the AT as something that was really important to me and I needed to figure out who I was at that age. And so I was planning, you know, the whole time to go hike. And I went home a few months before I left for the AT and I spent time with my parents hanging out their house, getting ready, packing food boxes, doing all of the like last minute things before you leave for a long trail. Um, And during that time, my mom's health was kind of up and down but not in a way that felt concerning. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I left for the AT on March 20th of 2015, and she died on March 24th of 2015. So on my fourth day on the trail, Um, I came home for her memorial service and strangely someone in my family asked me, when are you going back on the trail? Um, As if we weren't at my mom's memorial service. Mm And, and it it just kind of got me thinking a little bit that maybe I still did need to go do what I was trying to do because of all the reasons I was trying to do them and that my mom dying didn't change any of the things that were going on in my life that I needed the trail for. And so um, I did decide to go back on the trail and I hiked about 650 miles. I ended up getting off in Parisburg, Virginia after 70 days. And I just felt like at that point I had gotten what I needed out of the trail experience and that it was time for me to go spend time with my dad. Um, And I think that time apart was really good so that he could like deal with the truth of his aloneness at that point, the fact that she was gone and that I'm, you know, I wasn't gonna move back in and live with my dad so that he wasn't alone. Um, So I think it was good that I went to the trail where I was able to grieve and do a lot of self-work and think a lot about who I wanted to be in the world and how my relationship to my mom affected that. Um, And he was able to have time alone. And then at the end of that, I did go home and spend two months with him, which was time that I had planned to be on the trail that I was incredibly grateful that I had this free time so that I could go spend time with him. Because if I had been, you know, working a job and living far away, I probably wouldn't have had that time available to go just be with my dad um, after my mom's passing.
1: And you had a... Um, as it's revealed in the book, you had a pretty complex relationship with your mom. Don't we all? Fair point. <laughs> we do. We all do. My,
2: my mom was a wonderful woman and, mm-hmm. and a really good mom, but you know we're all human. and And as a daughter of a mom, I think we see so much of our moms in who we are. And there's so much connected and interwoven relationship there that in your twenties, like I just needed to prove my independence and to go do it on my own and to see who I really was without her reflecting back to me. And I think that's pretty common um, to feel that need to go assert your independence as a Mm -hmm. 22, 23 year old, 24 year old, you know?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Major theme in the book. That you that you discuss that you wrestle with in that book. And I, I like the way you, you put it, that a lot of people are on the trail to figure things out. And those 700 miles for you, um, you, know, you were figuring stuff out directly related to that. Uh, other people are, are figuring other stuff out. I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're out there, you're alone with yourself. Even if you're with other people, there's a lot of time spent hiking on your own or, you know, in your own head, working through stuff.
2: Absolutely. I always like to say that the trail is a really good place to just be without distraction and have to face your own brain. And I think our brains can be really scary places to be. <laughs> and the trail is is a great way to kind of force yourself into that, like force yourself into addressing your thoughts and, and even just thinking your own thoughts.
1: Yeah. One of our former guests from, Oh, he's going to kill me. I forget the, uh, it's going to come to me. Don't, don't, uh, don't worry. It's a European country. Drawing a blank right now, um, but he talked about his PCT hike. It's not only the the outer wilderness that we're battling; it's the inner, inner wilderness. And sometimes the inner wilderness is scarier.
2: Definitely. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: And we're so good at distracting ourselves in our normal day to day lives. Like we're so good at constantly having input, at constantly having distractions, and and for some people, going on the trail is kind of a a jolt of sorts into this in like self reflection.
1: Yeah, Nikola Hor- Nikola Horvat went by Tesla on the PCT. His trail name. He's from Croatia, and he oh, actually okay. went back. He went back to Croatia and was just enamored with long trail hiking, having done the PCT. And he actually started the Croatian Long Trail Association and went on to create and establish the the Croatian Long Trail. Wow! So there you go. That could be your next adventure.
2: Maybe I should check that out. I've seen beautiful pictures of Croatia. Mm-hmm.
1: Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Uh, so other than dealing with stuff in your own head and working things through any, any tales of adventure from the AT memorable moments or moments where you're like, what am I doing out here?
2: Oh, I definitely had those. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say the hardest things on the AT was definitely when it was raining and it, you know, it just would be cold and your feet are wet and all of that. Like, I just don't, I don't deal well with that, but I saw, I mean, I had some wildlife, I wouldn't even say encounters, but I saw a couple bears and I definitely got way too close to some snakes. Um, I remember walking alone and running across, there was a snake that was like stretched out across the trail and it was probably five or six feet long um and it was black but I don't know anything about snakes so I was like I don't know what kind of snake this is I don't want to get too close to it it's like crossing the trail so I just stood there about six feet away from it for 15 minutes (laughs) until another hiker came up behind me and I was like hey there's a snake and they were like okay and they went up and just like tapped their trekking poles on the ground near the snake and the snake left and I was like, cool, that's uh, easy.
1: It's a good so, technique. Yeah.
2: Okay. I was like, sweet, I could do that. Like now that I've seen this, I feel I feel good about that. So a few days later, um, I saw another snake that was kind of near the trail. It wasn't directly across, um, but I thought, ah, I know what to do. So I did that and it coiled up on the side of the trail and rattled at me. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, mistakes have been made.
1: <laughs> that is not what you're supposed to do, Mr. Snake. That's not how it's supposed to work.
2: <laughs> I was like, no, leave. <laughs> So I definitely, that, that was my lesson in snakes. Um, I think that's the, that's the only thing that comes to mind for the AT. It's been many years now.
1: Okay. And you, did you do that trail mostly alone? Did you pick up a trail family along the way or, or not?
2: Not really. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because I was grieving and, and being antisocial, I, I met a lot of people and there were lots of people that I had lovely conversations with um, and, and, A couple of people I hiked like four to five days with, but other than that, I didn't, I did not like get in with a group and then move forward with them. Um, I'm also a pretty slow hiker. So a lot of times I would meet people and then they would leave. So (laughs) that was definitely a thing. Um, I have one very good friend who I'm still friends with that I met on the AT probably the last two weeks that I was out on the trail. Um, And she and I actually have done several hiking trips together since the AT um
1: did she do the colorado trail with you she
2: did a big section of it with me okay. she ended up getting injured yeah hmm.
1: and what, what does she have a trail name
2: yes maybelline is her trail name
1: maybelline like the makeup maybelline? Yes. yes maybe it's maybelline i think yes. it's the uh is that, is that <laughs> the the motto
2: yeah she started the at wearing liquid eyeliner like winged eyeliner every day oh wow okay um yes and then she had to give that up after a few rounds of pink eye because hmm. the eyeliner is not very sanitary on the AT.
1: Sounds like she would have fit in with Mr. Fabulous.
2: <laughs> yes, very much. She was very cutesy and she wore a dress and her trail runners were like the same colors and matched with her dress. Um, she was looking very fashionable while I was looking like a sweaty pig. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. And so let's, uh, if, if that's all you got from the AT, anything else? I think that's it. Okay. All right. Let's move to the Wonderland trail. So, I mean, we're talking about two very different regions of the country. Um, how did you stumble across the Wonderland trail and, and it, it circumnavigates Mount Rainier? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I had recently moved into a van and was traveling um, the West area um and a friend of mine who lives in south dakota called me and said hey i'm driving to seattle you should come to mount rainier national park and meet me for a day hike and i had been sort of in the vortex which is portland and i said yes please thank you for calling me and telling me to leave the city um so i got in my van and drove to mount rainier and we did a day hike to fremont lookout tower Um, which crosses, when you do that trail, you cross over the wonderland trail and there's a sign that says wonderland trail this way. And when I saw that sign, I thought I've heard of that trail. I have heard other through hikers talk about it in like forums online. Um, And so I Googled it and it said 93 mile loop that goes around Mount Rainier. And at the time I had been in the van and I was feeling really lonely and disconnected. And I thought maybe hiking is the thing that will help me like make a friend or just feel like myself again for a few days. And so I thought that would be a fun, like aside to what I was doing with the van. And so I just went to the grocery store, bought some food and drove to Mount Rainier and got in line for a walk-up permit about a week later.
1: As detailed in the book.
2: Yes. Yes. I do talk about that in the book.
1: And let's take a little side trip and talk about van life for a little bit here. Sure. What was the inspiration for van life?
2: Um, I had been living in Colorado after the AT because Mm -hmm. everyone I met on the AT said, I'm thinking about moving to Denver after this. So I thought something must be going on there. So I moved to Denver.
1: (laughs) Got to check it out.
2: And I was like, something, people are into this. So I got to see what's going on. Um, I moved to Denver. I, I had some friends who were really into rock climbing and I started to get into rock climbing culture a little bit. And fan life is pretty big in, in the rock climbing scene. Um, and yeah, Alex.
1: Alex Honnold lived in a van, right? I mean, as famously, if you watched uh, um, Free Solo, right?
2: Yes, exactly.
1: And I, I couldn't. I could only. I knew how Free Solo ended. Of course. I mean, sure. the guy. The yeah. guy was still alive. He's 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 doing interviews and everything else. But still, during Free Solo, when he's on the on the side of El Capitan, I'm I'm watching through my fingers. It, it's, yeah. it's it's just terrifying. <laughs> terrifying.
2: Sweaty palms. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so van life was a big thing in the rock climbing community. I saw people doing it and I thought this seems like a really interesting way to live and just to be free in a way. And it seemed almost like a pretty natural thing to do after through hiking when all you have is the things on your back and a van is basically luxurious after that. So <laughs> I'm like, I have so many things, a whole van's work.
1: Yeah. You, you don't have to zip in. You can actually close the door. Right. And yeah. uh, a little, a <laughs> little more between you and, and the outside world.
2: Exactly. Yes. So I just got really interested in it. And it, you know, over the course of a year, I was working a job and, and saving money. And I was like, I think I'm going to, I'm going to buy a van and move into it. So it just sort of seemed like a natural thing to do. And now it seems like a lot of post trail life is happening in the van life world.
1: Can we get personal for a second? Sure. I've talked to a number of people about van life and I always, I, I have neglected to ask this question, but now it's on my radar. So I'm going to ask it. What about bathrooms?
2: Don't people ca- ask you that about hiking?
1: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you're living in a van though. I mean, do you, are you using gas stations or, or how, how does that work?
2: Um, in my first van, I did not have a bathroom in the van. So I mm-hmm. had um, gas stations, grocery stores. Um, it never really seemed to be an issue. Okay. And I think like, people ask that all the time. And I'm like, it just never really was an issue. Like I just found places to go. Um you know, maybe once I peed in the gutter in the street in Portland <laughs> like in the middle of the night. Um, I think that happened one time. So out of a year and a half in that van, um, you know,
1: that's pretty and- good. That's pretty good because uh, I know, <laughs> I know, on the trail in a tent, is, is as soon as you are all tucked away and you close your eyes for forty-five minutes, and it's like, oh my god, I got to go to the bathroom. You know, is it, I mean, that's a common occurrence or maybe it, maybe it's just yeah. me at my age that, uh, you know, I got to go and it, it could be raining and storming outside and my bladder doesn't care.
2: Yeah, no, that, I try. That could I be do a my, problem.
1: that could be a problem in van life.
2: It can, I, I'm a pretty good at sleeping through the night and, and like immediately falling asleep when I lay down. So that's, it wasn't an issue often.
1: That's a life um, skill right there. <laughs>
2: when i see other people struggling with that like getting out in the tent in the middle of the night i'm like not me (laughs) not me coach (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah that it was never an issue and then in my second van i did have a bathroom um i had like a little um porta potty thing and as wonderful of a luxury as that was then i also had to like dump it out once a week or whatever which not my fave
1: see we just we just Look behind the curtain of van life and got to the, to the nitty gritty.
2: Yes. Thank you.
1: Thank you for sharing that lady unicorn. Of course. (laughs) What you always wanted to know, but were afraid to ask.
2: I feel like it's just like with hiking people, people want to know where do you go to the bathroom? It's like the first thing.
1: Well, and there's only two topics out on the trail, right? I mean, it's either, it's either bodily functions or it's food.
2: Yes. Is there anything else? Is there anything else?
1: Oh, gear. Yeah. 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 A lot of gear talk too. All right. And so, I mean, you, you detail your wonderland trip, uh, in the book, do a great job of, of painting a picture for us. And I know you've, you've changed the names, uh, to protect the innocent and you've approximated some of the, some of the conversations. You, of course you weren't recording everything out there. So it's just your, your recollection, but, yeah. uh, really excellent job, uh, detailing that trip and your experiences out there. Thank you. Any favorite memories from that trip?
2: Um, I mean, I can tell the bear story. Everybody always likes a good bear story. Of course. Um, when I got my permit, I asked the rangers, like, hey, what's the deal with bears in the park? Because um, I had hiked on the AT and I lived in Yosemite and I know about bears. Um, and they said, we have never had a violent bear incident in the history of the park. And I thought that's really impressive, (laughs) Um, and so I thought, cool, no worries, and they said, we have bear poles at every campsite, so just hang your food up there, and I was like, sweet, I can do that, Um, and just general bear safety, and they said, we have one campsite that is an easy day hike um, with a little shelter, and we have had a problem with a mom and some baby bears there, just kind of, not really, like, nothing violent, but, like, rummaging through people's stuff, um, just getting closer to people than they should, so I said, cool, And over the course of the next eight days, I feel like every single person that I talked to on the trail said, have you seen any bears? Have you seen any bears? (laughs) And I just think it's such a funny thing that people are like so worried about bears all the time. Um, when there's just like very rarely an issue. And I had not seen any bears. I talked to a few other hikers who said they saw bears. Um, but it wasn't until I got to that campsite that the ranger had warned me about on my ninth day on the trail. It was eighth day on the trail. Um, and I, I sat down in my tent, in my little tent with the mesh sides with no rain fly on. And I was, you know, it was like 6 p.m. It wasn't late.
1: But you were zipped in. You were zipped in, so you are safe.
2: I was zipped in to my tent, uh, my little backpacking tent, reading a book. And I saw a flash go by the outside of my tent. And I looked and it was a marmot running faster than I've ever seen a marmot move in my life. And like, in my mind, marmots are like notoriously like lackadaisical kind of frolicking around and like somersaulting and being cute. Um, I've never seen one run before. And I thought, wow, that's really strange. And it didn't even occur to me like why a marmot would be running like that. And then a few seconds later, two bears came out of the woods right behind where the marmot had come from. And I thought, oh. It was being chased, <laughs> but the bears saw me and turned on a dime to check me out. Cause I was sitting in this campsite and they came up on either side of my tent. They like flanked me close enough that I could have touched them if I wasn't zipped in. So they stood and looked me in the eyes and they flared their nostrils and I could like see the air moving in as they were like breathing in my scent. And the only thing I could think was one, I can do absolutely nothing about the situation because I'm in a backpacking tent. <laughs> and two, I spilled almond butter on my pants like four days ago. <laughs> and I was like, they can smell that. I'm sure. Sh- I mean, a hundred percent, they can smell that. And I thought they're just going to eat me for my pants. And I just sat there. Cause I was like, I- there's nothing I can do. You know, when you see a bear far away, you're supposed to make yourself look big. So it goes away. But when they're that close, I was like any sudden movement might freak them out. And also I'm like zipped in here. So um, I just sat there for 35 seconds, 40 seconds, a minute. I really don't know how long it was. It felt like an eternity. And then they they just continued on their way and followed where the marmot had gone. So it took me a few seconds after that to be like able to get out of the tent because I thought there's got to be what if there's more of them? What if there's what if they come back? And so I had to like calm down for a few seconds. Then I got out and went down the hill to where some other girls were camping. And I said, I saw some bears and they were like, oh my gosh, that's, you're so lucky. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, it was very scary. <laughs> and then a couple of other hikers came from the other way and they said, we saw bears. And I said, be too. And they showed me the picture they had, which was very clearly a mom and a baby bear. And the two bears I saw were not a mom and a baby bear. And I thought we're surrounded. There's... A whole bunch of bears. <laughs> so I ended up moving my tent down the hill and, and hanging out with those other girls. So I wasn't alone. And then one of those girls cowboy camped outside my tent right next to me on the ground. That's
1: that, that's some badassery right there.
2: She was so much cooler than me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you, you should only get nervous if, if the bear takes in your scent and then begins licking its lips. <laughs> then, you know, you're in trouble.
2: I don't think there was any lick licking of lips. <laughs> okay, so you're saying, but they looked me in the eyes, which was like scary.
1: And they said to themselves, "You know what? She's in this tent. We can't get to her. She's safe. <laughs> She's so
2: just safe we're just gonna her. we're to
1: go after that marmot that's running fast and it's out in the open.
2: Yes, not zipped in, safely. not zipped
1: in. Yes. And so one of the one of the the themes is in my my annotated. Uh, Uh, alone in wonderland here. Um, Actually, there's many themes, but um, one of them was this whole concept of trauma and healing and acceptance, acceptance of yourself, you accepting you and kind of realizing who you are and and that's okay. Um, Did this trip do it for you?
2: Um, I don't think the journey of self-acceptance is ever done. So it was a, big step for me and, and writing the book also was a huge part of that journey. Um, but yeah, definitely still something I'm working on.
1: Was it cathartic writing the book?
2: In some ways. Yes. Um, in some ways it brought up a lot of old things that I didn't realize I was still carrying around. Mm -hmm. And I think there's definitely catharsis that goes with that. Um, but yeah, writing, writing my emotion into the story kind of forced me to like re-experience some things, um, which I think in the long run is good. It's good to do that. That's why Mm -hmm. therapy is so good Mm because you have to tell the story. Right.
1: Right. Right. Let's talk about the book. You ready? I'm ready. You're an expert in it. So I wrote that. (laughs) Yeah, you you did. You, you wrote the book. You wrote the book on this literally. Yes. (laughs) Um, I, I always like to talk about the title, mm. T- titles of books, titles of documentaries, uh, when I'm talking to the creator, um, alone in wonderland, there's a two letter difference from Alice in wonderland intentional. Indeed. Indeed. Yes. Yes. Explain. Tell, More tell us
2: almost like a happy coincidence. Yeah. Like, I... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I went on the trail. I was experiencing a lot of loneliness and trying to figure out how to find community and how to find a partner and, and look for love and, you know, all the things. And so I was very much thinking about aloneness when I set foot on the trail. And then I proceeded to have strangers ask me almost every day, why are you alone? Are you alone? Is it safe for you to be out here alone? Are you scared to be out here alone? And it was almost like one of those universe moments where the thing that is like tormenting you is just being reflected back at you at every turn. And, and it was like, I, I am asking myself, why am I alone? Why does no one want to be with me? Why am I traveling in this van alone with no friends? And, you know, like, those are all questions I was asking myself. And then I got on the trail and everyone is asking them of me. And I felt like I had to defend myself. And very much as a young woman, I answered those questions with like, uh, like why wouldn't I be alone? Why, you know, why is it culturally not okay for me to be alone? Why, you know, I was always very like, defiant about these things. And in, in the moment of being on the trail, I'd almost like lost that. And, and I felt very unsure of my answers to those questions. So that is really what I was exploring on the trail And I had some conversations with other hikers who had experienced some of those things and were feeling some of that loneliness. And I thought, I think this is more of a universal experience than I maybe have given it credit for. Like I I felt very alone in my aloneness um, until I talked to other people and I I revealed how I was feeling. And then they said, yeah, me too. And, And that's sort of what inspired me to write the book. And then, of course, you know, I was on the Wonderland Trail and the idea of the title Alone in Wonderland came to me. And I was like, well, now I have to write the book because it's too clever to not.
1: (laughs) You'd gone down the metaphorical rabbit hole.
2: Exactly. Right.
1: Just like Alice did.
2: Commitments have been made.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about the structure of the book. Now, I was a former English teacher. Before oh. I became a, a an administrator, school administrator, and later and now a, a district administrator, and I really enjoyed the way the book was was structured. Is it okay if I if I go into a little detail on this because I don't want to I don't want to spoil things. if You want me to spoil things?
2: Totally no, no okay. spoilers. You know. So
1: spoiler alert: if if you are going to read Alone in Wonderland, which I highly recommend. Uh, it is my, we're going to stipulate that that should be the adventure media recommendation for, for today, but we're going to get another one out of Lady Unicorn. Um, so if you haven't read it yet, just hit pause right now, go read, go get the book, read the book and then come read back the and, <laughs> Yeah, and pick it up. We'll wait for you. Um, so the structure of the book, you've got alternating chapters with different stories going on in those alternating chapters. You've got one of your stories is the uh, the Wonderland Hike and it's told in the present tense. And then the other story is about your home life and the lead up and lead up to and into your AT hike. And this is told in the past tense. And I love the way it all kind of dovetails together at the end with the next to last chapter ending with you deciding to hike the wonderland trail. And the last chapter is, is your final day on the wonderland trail. So it kind of all just wraps up very neatly. It's like these two convergent, uh, uh, Processes coming together at the at the very end, and so I just love the the intertwining of those two stories and seeing um, the 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 back and forth of you know who you were and and who you are currently and how how that has impacted each other. Did I get it right? Yeah. Did I screw it up? No. No. Okay.
2: I just did. You ask a question? No. Okay. (laughs) No, I I
1: I just. I was just looking for a reaction. That's all. There's no question there. Sometimes there's no question. I just pause for dramatic effect. I see. Yeah.
2: Yes. That is how the story is told
1: <laughs> and not being an English major, but being a voracious reader. I mean, how did you come by that structure?
2: Um, this is something I've thought about a lot recently as I'm working on my second book. Um, but it just made sense to tell the story that way. I think a little bit of it was a few fear of weaving in backstory the natural kind of way that a lot of stories do where you just get little bits here and there kind of as it pertains to the story because I think so often I have read that as really clunky like sometimes if it's not super well done it can be awkward and I wanted to avoid that at all costs so (laughs) my solution was to just separate the backstory completely Um, and this, it just made sense to me to do it this way. And, and I hate that I don't have a better explanation for that because I'm really struggling with how to format my next book. And I'm like, I wish I knew how I knew that would work because i having a hard time applying this, like this, I just knew method to the next product.
1: No, it, it absolutely worked. It was very clever, very well done. Uh, the word clunky did not come into mind once as I was reading this. And I like, the, I like the the fact that the Wonderland is told in the present tense and the, the AT story and uh, the lead up to that is told in the past tense. And I thought that was pretty clever as well.
2: Yeah, I definitely think when you're going back and forth between times, it can be confusing to readers. And so I wanted to make it as clear as possible, like what was happening when.
1: Mm-hmm. Easier to write in the past tense.
2: I think Would the present you... is easier.
1: Really? Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I know past tense is definitely like the standard for for novels and for a lot of, just lots of writing. Most is done in the past tense. But something about the present tense for me, I mean, it gives a sense of immediacy. And it allows me as I'm writing to really feel like I'm there and to pick out those little details and bring in the things that make you feel like you're there when you're reading them.
1: Mm -hmm. Being a a former high school English teacher, I know that uh, control of the tense is is difficult for a lot of people. They go Mm -hmm. back and forth between past and present and past perfect and all kinds of different tenses.
2: Totally. Yeah.
1: You didn't didn't do that once except when you changed chapters. So good job.
2: Thanks. I (laughs) I had great editors.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very helpful. All right. Hey, uh, talked about themes a little bit earlier, but just want to make sure I mentioned all of the stuff going on in this book, uh, pulled some of this off of, off of the back of the, uh, the book jacket here, but you know, love, grief, independence, trauma, healing, acceptance. You mentioned it before: safety on the trail for women, and always being asked, "And what are you doing out here alone as a woman on the trail?" Um, and and as a correlation, there a corollary uh, societal pressure on women. Again, that's not a question, but I'm just pausing for dramatic effect. If you want to say anything about any of those themes.
2: Yeah, I think that it's something that women talk about a lot amongst ourselves, um, but that I think a lot of men are maybe not used to hearing in such um, strict terms, as I described my experience on the trail. And I've had a lot of men reach out to me and say, thank you for sharing this, because I had no idea what it is like to be in a woman's head. Um, when you're out on the trail. And I've, I've had some guys say to me, like, this is going to affect the way that I interact with women when I meet them. And I think that is not something I was hoping for, um, but something I'm super happy about because I think so many times men are totally well-meaning and nice and not, you know, but like, we don't know that as women. And I think as, as girls, as young girls, we're conditioned to be afraid and to, Think of men as threats. And I think, you know, growing up, my parents warned me all the time: like, <laughs> men are dangerous, men only want one thing, you know, like there's lots of things that we've heard a million times as women, and and it all falls back to protect yourself and don't put yourself in dangerous situations. And I I really wanted to explore the idea that we can go out, we can backpack, we can be safe in the wilderness, like that the being in the wild is not any more dangerous than being in the city. Um, but that we also have to deal with our internal dialogue, which is screaming the whole time, threat, threat, danger, (laughs) every time we see another person on the trail. And, and I think that's something that is super universally experienced by women, um, that maybe isn't talked about as publicly as it could be.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. Of course, um, as a, as a guy on the trail you know, I'm, I'm worried about campsites. I'm worried about, uh, you know, what I'm going to eat. I'm worried about, you know, twisting an ankle. Um, and there's this added dimension for women on the trail. And you point that out very clearly in your book. There are a couple of examples that, uh, that illustrate this, uh, when the guy comes up, to talk to you about, uh, a particular a camping site or, or something. And you know, he's just trying to be helpful, uh, or so he thinks, but he is sending off all kinds of red flags and alarm bells for you. And it's not a, Pleasant conversation from your point of view. You're 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 struggling to uh, conquer that 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 fear and and uh, trying to determine whether or not he's safe or not. And even when he leaves, I mean, you, you find yourself looking over your shoulder. You know, where where is he? Where is he going? Which direction? These are things that you know typically guys don't don't think about on the trail.
2: Totally, yeah. And I'm not I'm not a small woman. I'm almost six feet tall, but I still live in that. Like I, I am, can be threatened by someone. And, and often I know, like I'm part of the hiking community. I know lots of men who hike, who are wonderful people. Like there, you know, I don't have any reason to think that these men mean me harm other than my social conditioning. And, and so a lot of that inner dialogue is that like, I'm sure he's just being a nice guy. Like he's just making conversation. He's just saying hello, but it instantly raises the hairs on my neck, you know?
1: Yeah, we've talked to a, a number of women uh, who have hiked alone out there. We've talked to uh, Skittles, Little mm. Skittles, um, who did the PCT. Talked yeah. to uh, Julia Sheehan, also mm. goes by Rocket. She tremendous, tremendous woman, very strong. But these are things that, that they also acknowledge. I mean, this is something that, that, uh, that they're aware of. And so uh, congratulations to you for, for being out there and, and meeting that head on and for writing about it and and sharing that experience with all of us so that we can be a little more cognizant out there. Thank you. Now let's, I want to get to some, some passages from the books. That's all right. There's, I, I highlighted a few things that, uh, really stuck out to me. One is you, you, you mentioned earlier, you were looking for love and you, you ran into a number of, uh, guys and, um, one particular passage on page, uh, I've got the paperback. So page 53, Okay, I highlighted here and it's this beautiful image of, of you by yourself and you've got your arms wrapped around yourself. Do you remember the passage I'm talking about? Probably I not.
2: don't. That's not what I was expecting. Okay. All right.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so what I highlighted here is it, you, you, you write in my imagination, I am being embraced by the shaping, the shape-shifting parade of men all of whose arms I've taken comfort in my adult life. But in reality, the only arms that hold me are my own. And I thought that was uh, revelatory. It was uh, you kind of coming to grips of trying to find happiness in others and kind of realizing that sometimes the happiness is, is you can achieve that by yourself.
2: Yeah. I think it's almost a dual, a dual meaning in that like what you said that, that we do have to find those things in ourselves. And also, a lot of what I was dealing with on the trail was my history of needing to be independent, which had caused me to push a lot of people away. And all of those people I had come into short contact with, who maybe saw my need to be independent and took their leave, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And then a little bit later, I highlighted a section because this is another great adventure media recommendation, and that is New Jersey's famed Action Park. Did you watch did you watch the documentary on that?
2: I have not, but it came out recently, didn't it?
1: It did. It did Class- I feel like I saw
2: an ad for it.
1: Yeah, it's called Class Action Park. It's a documentary and it's based the 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 Johnny Knoxville movie, Adventureland, I think it's called. Um, is based on Class Action Park, and it's, it's it's this amusement park in New Jersey. And I was, I just watched the documentary not that long ago. And so when I saw it in the book, I said, "Oh, I have to bring this up." because <laughs> it's, it's just hilarious and horrifying because this guy builds this this amusement park in New Jersey, and they're basically the concept behind it is you know no rules, no rules. I you know we're not going to supervise. We're not. It's you know a free for all. It's built in the '70s, and it kind of went with the the cultural theme at that at that point, but. You know, he wouldn't even have engineers. Uh, he wouldn't consult engineers to build the rides. He'd say, you know what? I think it'd be cool to have a water slide with a loop in it. Let's build that. And so they did. And and people got very hurt riding these rides and people, they'd lose teeth and break bones. And, and that's why it was called Class Act, the way the documentary was called Class Action Park. So,
2: Yeah. I definitely was, it was, yeah, I bring that up in the book because I'm like going through this internet rabbit hole of just like clicking things. And that's how I found the AT was like right after I read about Action Park. (laughs) But if you're not familiar, if you ever make it out to Colorado, we have a place called Bishop's Castle, which is also, it's a very, the guy who owns the property is like a libertarian kind of like no government type of person. And he has from his youth, built this castle, which is many stories tall and has these wild ladders and turrets and all kinds of crazy things. And it's never been inspected, um, hasn't passed any type of zoning. And he just lets people come on his property and go check it out. And it is wild and scary. Okay. (laughs) So you should check that out. We need to
1: check that out next time we're in Colorado. Okay. Hey, on page 93, I think you, you struck upon the kind of the motto the theme of backpacking life. And that is, I wish real life was like this. You meet cool people and at random and talk about real shit. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been out on the trail. I've read lots of of trail memoirs and you've got people who are running into each other, have never, ever met this person before. And within five minutes, they're sharing their, their deepest darkest secrets, things that they haven't told their family members. Again, not a question, but, uh, okay. yeah, <laughs> but I thought yes. that was, I would think I thought that was very cool that you, you acknowledged that.
2: It's very true. And I think part of it is what we were talking about before. Like you're in your own head, you're thinking thing, you're thinking things you haven't thought before. And so then of course you want to work it out with people. You want to like, you know, I was thinking about this, like, let's, let's dive into that and like unpack it a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you ever read journeys North? I have by scout.
2: Yep.
1: Yeah, we talked we had him on, we talked to him about about that and he did a, a fantastic job and that was another one of the things that he revealed is that, you know, these these complete strangers are revealing, you know, deep dark secrets, trauma uh, and working things out with each other out there.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. What do you think I'm gonna, I'm going to quote next?
2: I don't know. None of these have been anything that I've been quoted before. Really? I don't think so. Okay. There's like a few that people like to quote.
1: Okay. Well, I've got a few more. So let's, let's see, (laughs) let's see Um, page 109, seeking a path to who we want to be. You're out there on the, on the path, you're out there on the trail, but you are, you are struggling to find your, your identity. So I think uh, this really sums it up. We look ahead at who we want to be and seek out a path to get there. I wanted to be a woman who hiked the Appalachian trail. That woman could keep hiking when her legs were tired and the air was thin and her skin was burned. So that's what I did because the woman I wanted to be couldn't exist until I did those things. She was counting on me to get there. Was that one that's quoted?
2: Um, Yeah, that okay,
1: one. Uh, okay. That finally.
2: One people like. <laughs> um, it's actually something that I say to my best friend a lot. Um, we talk a lot about goals and where we're going in life. And I always say like, you know, just, look at who you want to be and start doing the things that that person would do. And, and I think it's interesting that we struggle so much with that, that people like to say so often, I could never do that, or, you know, that doesn't suit me or like, I'm just not the type of person who, and, and to me, it just seems so much like you can say, I am the type of person who by doing it. Mm -hmm. Do the, do the thing. And you are now the type of person who does that thing. (laughs) And it sounds so oversimplified and I know it's, it's really hard and scary to do new things. Um, But I think in the world we live in, especially with social media and the internet, we have such an opportunity to see people doing things that we would never have come up with on our own. And, and I think that makes it so much easier to picture ourselves being that type of person, the type of person who.
1: Almost like speaking it into existence. Totally. You are defining where it is you want to go, what you want to be, and then starting off on that path.
2: Taking very, action. Very yeah.
1: metaphorical. Yep. And then on page uh, 137, what we carry. Has this been quoted? I don't think so. You don't think so? So in backpacking, the weight of what you carry is physical. In life, the weight of what we carry isn't so corporeal. Am I willing to continue carrying that trauma, that grief, that anger? It's... it's, it's uh, it's almost like a, a real life ultralight, right? Do I want to carry that seven pound uh, stove anymore? I'm just going to leave that behind. It is is a struggle to carry that. It's a burden. And so, yeah. you know, it's almost like we have the option. We have the opportunity to review what's in our, our real life backpack and get rid of some stuff.
2: Absolutely. And I think there is so much to be said about the comfort of living in your grief and your trauma and the baggage. Like we... We find our, what we're used to, what we're comfortable with in those things because we've been living in them. Um, but making that choice to, to like let things go, to take them out of your pack, to say, I don't need this, wait any longer. I don't need the familiarity of this pain that I can go be without it. And, and even though that's scary and unknown, it might be better.
1: Well said. And can I share a couple of passages about your mom, which sure. were really striking? And I'm sure these have been quoted. So the first one is on page 191. My mother knew me in ways I had never even knew myself. She left this earth when I was someone else. In her death, I became unknown. The me who began inside of her has been lost to the me walking through these woods. Who will ever know me now? Poignant. Heartbreaking. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I'll move on to the other passage then. Hang on. Hold that thought. Hold those tears. Let me get this one in too so you can cry for both of them. Um, page 237. I wanted to be just like her when I grew up. Then I grew up. At some point, I started to see all the ways I didn't want to be like her. Then she just went and died. I didn't have time to reconcile who she was as a person or to figure out who I was without her.
0: She's just gone that was a conversation with tom
1: yes
2: who was on the verge of losing his mother at the time mm-hmm. yeah yeah and and i i just felt so compelled to tell him like you have to do this now like you have to think about her death before it happens um Yeah. I feel like that's something we do really badly in our culture is, is think about death before it happens and think about like, what's going to be important afterwards and what we will wish we had said and what we will wish we had done. And, and a lot of that is within ourselves, right? Like I, I really don't think I have a lot of regrets about not saying things to my mom. I think I have a lot of regrets about not asking things of her or seeing her as a whole person. And not just a mother before she died. And I think a lot of us do, do eventually see our parents as whole people, but you know, in our thirties and our forties, when we see ourselves as adults and we start to see more of how they raised us in what we are doing in our lives now. And, and I just didn't have that opportunity with her.
1: Yeah. You, um, as you get older, you realize that your, your parents are just people. And you realize that, like yourself, they didn't have it all dialed in. They didn't have it all figured out. We're just making a step up as we go, trying to do the best we can, trying not, try not to disappoint anybody um, for the most part, and uh, hoping, hoping uh, it, it goes all right. And so this this myth as a, as a child looking up to your parents and thinking that, okay, you know, they know everything, they've got it dialed in, it's not the case, and 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 seeing the whole person is something like you said. It's a, a realization over time.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think about the relationship I have with my dad now, and how I see him, and and how I've come to know him as a person in the past six, seven years. And it is heartbreaking to think that I don't get to have that with my mom.
1: Yeah, am I allowed to read the last few lines of the last chapter before the epilogue? Sure. Yeah. So that's another one that really stood out to me. Um, and really this first sentence gives me, gives me, ting, gets me chills, gives me, gives me tingles. I was ice, but now I'm water. The breaking away has been savage, painful, loud, and traumatic. I was part of something solid and corporeal, but it couldn't stay that way forever. Nobody forewarned that my dissolution into the ocean of the world was an inevitability, but the journey from glacier to ocean is not one from something to nothing. Explain that to us. You were ice, but now you're water.
2: Um, I was standing in front of a glacier as it was calving and melting into a river, and I was really thinking about the the glacier network that's happening on top of Mount Rainier and how the water is coming down from being part of the mountain and and breaking away and then traveling all the way to the ocean and, and how you couldn't possibly stand in the ocean on the West coast of the U.S. and think this is water from Mount Rainier. Um, I guess you could possibly, I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't think most people recognize where it came from. And it's you know it's really a metaphor about the idea that we do eventually break away from where we came from. We do eventually go out into the world and become our own people. And there is a softening, a melting, a a change in form that happens in that process.
1: It's a journey. I mean, the the trail is a metaphor for life. Always. Yep. We're never there. Never there. And got to empty that backpack out (laughs) more frequently. All right. Hey, what's next for, for Christine?
2: Um, I'm currently working on another book and it will talk a lot about my trip on the Colorado trail and be many, many more trail is life metaphors. (laughs) Um, So I'm working on that right now. I am actually in the process of scheduling a book tour for this summer um, where I'll be talking about Alone in Wonderland um, and giving some talks. I'll be at trail days, Appalachian trail days in May in Virginia, and then I'll be touring around Virginia, North Carolina. And then hopefully in the fall, I'll be in Washington and Oregon, Idaho, kind of Pacific Northwest. Um, Also doing events and hopefully sneaking in some of my own hiking along the way.
1: Nice. Working title for the new book, Zipped Up with Lady Unicorn? Yes. Okay. All right. Lady Unicorn, you know where we are right now?
2: Where, Where you are, this photo?
1: No, where we are right now.
2: What is that? No, I don't.
1: We are at that time of the episode where I ask you for your pro tip insight of the week. What bit of trail wisdom do you have to share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better? Zip it up. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, can be, that can mean so many different things. It applies yes. <laughs> to so many aspects of life.
2: Not just advice for the trail.
1: Right. You sticking with that?
2: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay.
1: All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with lady unicorn. I want to thank her for joining us this week. Christine, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures and book tours?
2: Um, the best place to contact me and see what's going on is Instagram at rugged outdoors woman. Um, I am also on Twitter, but very badly. And um I recently made a TikTok, but haven't really ventured into the I'm not sure what I'm doing with it yet. So if anyone has any suggestions, hit me up on Instagram. Tell me what I should do on TikTok. <laughs> and then oh, the book is available at aloneinwonderland.com. Um I also have a newsletter you can sign up for there if you want to make sure not to miss anything. And the book is also available at many gear shops, bookshops, um, all the regular online places that you buy books.
1: Okay. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfickamere at gmail.com. Lady Unicorn, I'm also looking to you to uh, share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, some kind of adventure media to keep our listeners connected to the trail in the off season. And I've already stipulated that uh, my recommendation is Alone in Wonderland, but you have to give us something different. What, what, what do you have for us?
2: Have you read Edge of the Map? Oh, no. Joanna Garten. Um, It is also a story of a woman named Christine. um, Christine Boscov, who was a mountaineer um, who got lost in the mountains in the Himalaya. Um, And Joanna does like a little investigatory journalism to tell her story. And then what happened to her in the mountains?
1: Oh, it's almost like the, uh, uh, the Randy Morganson story. The... Oh, by by Eric Blem, the last season, I think it's called.
2: I have heard of that. I haven't read it.
1: Yeah, excellent. Excellent okay. book, but similar theme, similar theme. Randy Morganson, 30 years of uh, backcountry ranger experience, been involved in many rescues. And then one one summer he goes missing.
2: I'll have to put that on my list.
1: Yes, definitely. Nice. definitely. Okay. And before we wrap things up, I got just one more segment for you call. What have we not asked you that you're dying to tell us about?
2: Um, can I tell just like a very short sort of day hiking story?
1: (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. Um, before
2: I hiked the Appalachian trail, I moved to Yosemite national park as a preparation for hiking. Um, and more, it was like, I had a lease that was about to run out and I needed a place to live for six months. So I moved to the park and I worked in the gift shop and a lovely woman who I worked with said, she came to work and she said, I hiked Mount Whitney on my day off. And I said. What's Mount Whitney? And she said, it's the tallest peak in the continental US. And I said, was it hard? And she said, not really. It was just a lot of switchbacks. And I thought, cool. And I said, (laughs) I said, was it really steep? Like you have to take really big, tall steps to get there? Cause I don't like that. And she said, no, no, no. Like the switchbacks, it was great. It's very casual, but just long. It's 11 miles there and 11 miles back. And I thought, cool. So I decided I was going to hike Mount Whitney. Um, having never hiked more than four miles in my life. So I got a permit to hike Mount Indy and I dragged myself 22 miles round trip in 24 hours. Um, It was one of the hardest things I'd ever done in my life. I barely ate anything. I was burnt to a crisp because I didn't know about sunscreen. And uh, my... (laughs) The person that I was hiking with was some random guy that I had had maybe like two days worth of interaction with. And I was like, Hey, want to hike Mount Whitney with me? We're going to, you know, I'm going to do that. And so we had gotten permits. I, he ended up quitting partway up because he got altitude sickness and I finished by myself. I was the last person to summit. I was up at the lightning shelter at 5 PM. Um, which if you know anything about being on tall mountains is not advisable. <laughs> um, but on my way to go hike, another guy who I had recently met told me, you'll never make it to the top of Mount Whitney because he had seen me not make it to Vernal Falls in Yosemite, which is like a mile, <laughs> like two weeks prior. So he was like, you couldn't even make it to Vernal Falls. You'll never make it to the top of Mount Whitney. Um, and his doubt fueled me t- to hike 22 miles like a crazy person. Um And I couldn't walk the next day because I was so bedraggled from doing it, but I did it. And while I would not advise uh, anyone to go hike Mount Whitney, who has never hiked four miles before, because that is foolish and dangerous. um, It was a really formative experience for me. It was the thing that I held on to, honestly, through almost everything that I've done since that, like, if I, in that condition and that level of experience could make it to the top of Mount Whitney, like I can do whatever it is that I'm standing in front of now. So <laughs> from that, I took this, I like to call it keeping it in my back pocket. I keep Mount Winnie in my back pocket. And there's a few things that I've done since then that were really hard that, that were really like things that I, I look at to say, when I'm in doubt, when I'm having a hard time, these are things that I can pull out of my back pocket and say, you know what, if I could do that, I can do this.
1: Prove the naysayers wrong. Keep it in your back pocket. Yeah. I like it. I'm thinking, though, that your pro tip should have been use sunscreen. This new invention, this newfangled <laughs> invention called sunscreen hasn't been around very long. I'm surprised you didn't know about it.
2: You know, yeah, when you're not outdoorsy, what do you need sunscreen for? <laughs> <laughs> I think what I, you know, of course, the truth is I didn't know the sun was so powerful at altitude. I didn't know that was a thing, which I have learned the hard way multiple times since then as a hiker in Colorado.
1: <laughs> Just reminded me of a cute story with my son. We went with my buddy who had season tickets to the angels, Los Angeles angels of Anaheim, however you want to, however you want to characterize their, their team name, but the the, the, the professional baseball team, the angels and his season seats were high up. They were behind home plate, but they're pretty high up. I mean, like upper deck, I think maybe we're two or three rows away from the top. I mean, we're way up there and we happened to go on the the hottest day of the year. The, the, sun was just blistering. The air was not moving. It was, it was painful, uh, sitting through the game. And as we're walking, as we're walking back to the car at the end of the game, and we're, he, uh, my son turns to me and says, you know, I know why, I know why it was so hot dad. I said, why? He goes, because Mr. Crawford's seats were so close to the sun. <laughs> and Mr. Crawford, of course, was walking right next to us. So yeah.
2: <laughs> How old was your son?
1: Uh, probably six. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we get fooled at altitude because it's not as hot usually. And so Mm -hmm. you're not, I wasn't paying attention to the sun. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I actually had a lovely group of, of four women who are about 30 come up to me and say, you're really getting burned. And they, I, and I was like so exhausted and so pathetic at that point that I like stood there while they rubbed sunscreen on me on the trail. (laughs) (laughs) thank you to those women if they're listening
1: (laughs) you could have picked up an interesting trail name there at that point
2: Mm. like stupid
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's a wrap from the john Freaky mirror studio any shout outs to friends and family lady unicorn
2: i wasn't prepared for that
1: you don't you don't give out shout outs no thanks dad okay
2: I don't
1: think so. All right. I'm a former teacher. I have good wait time.
2: <laughs> um, shout out to all of the hikers that I've met along the way.
1: <laughs> okay. There you go. And thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if there are two bears on either side of you. licking their lips. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.
0: Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 830 PM Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.